0: Is this the moment which blew up Brexit?
3: Methinks I see her as an eagle, mewing her mighty youth and kindling her undazzled eyes at the full midday beam. Ladies and gentlemen, let us seize that prize. Thank you.
0: That was Geoffrey Cox at the Tory conference as he emerged as the Prime Minister's and the Tory party's favourite Brexiteer. Fast forward five months and the Attorney-General's high profile and with it the elevated importance of his legal advice on the Irish backstop has helped crush Theresa May's deal again, defeated by 391 votes to 242. This is the Red Box Politics podcast on The Times. I'm Matt Shawley in the House of Commons for another one of those historic nights in Parliament when Theresa May goes down to a humiliating defeat and absolutely nobody has a clue what is going on. In this episode, I speak to Sunday Times political editor Tim Shipman from The Times, Sam Coates, Henry Zeffman and Esther Webber, plus sketch writer Quentin Letts on what happens next. And I loiter in the central lobby long enough to catch Tory MPs Johnny Mercer, Labour shadow Foreign Secretary Emily Thornberry, Labour MP Lisa Nandy, former Lib Dem leader Tim Farron and the DUP's Sammy Wilson. But first, let's go back to the beginning. Theresa May dashed to Strasbourg on Monday night to secure what she called legally binding changes to her deal, supposedly giving Britain a way out of the pesky Irish backstop. But her chances of getting that deal to fly depended on one man, Geoffrey Cox. Until last summer, he was a backbench MP, unknown and rarely even seen in Westminster because he spent so much time working as a QC. But he was a Brexiteer, could string a quite polished sentence together and crucially was willing to fight the good fight for the Prime Minister. He wowed the crowd at the party conference and soon it all came down to his legal advice. Would it be published? And then would it back up what Theresa may said so just how important was jeffrey cox i'm joined by sam coates the deputy political editor of the times henry Zeffman, political correspondent and esther weber the times red box reporter welcome to you all Uh, let's start with you henry can you just explain why jeffrey cox became so
4: important there's two reasons one related to his personality and one related to his job Uh, The role of Attorney General does become significant at significant moments in political history. Uh, Lord Goldsmith, Peter Goldsmith, was not a big character uh, in many respects, but as Attorney General in the run-up to the Iraq War, his legal advice was controversial at the time, but for years, uh, and perhaps it will be for decades afterwards. So there is just the fact that being Attorney General is a pivotal role at certain junctures. Well, why did it become pivotal for brexit well jeffrey cox turned the role of attorney general into this peculiar thing uh, at the conservative party conference last year uh, he was the warm-up act for theresa may it was not your bog standard warm-up act i remember the year before she had a load of backbench mps one of whom just talked about soil um <laughs> jeffrey cox by contrast delivered this amazing uh, well choose your own uh, description either like the uh, high-earning QC that he is, or like Rumpel of the Bailey, but played at an Amdram Society, or like Winston Churchill. But he suddenly was this figure of substance. Uh, it meant that the government used him more, which pushed the topic of Brexit conversation further in the direction of his role, which is legal, uh, and meant that... Uh, you know perhaps what should have been a political exercise after the brady amendment in seeking political concessions became uh, an incredibly high bar for the government to clear which were serious legal concessions as a lawyer of very long standing and a high-ranking politician of not very long standing jeffrey cox put his legal career before his political career
0: sam Theresa may came back from strasbourg with what she's claimed were legally binding changes she thought this might have been what would seal the deal all eyes on jeffrey cox what happened when he got to Cabinet? Well, it's been interesting talking to Cabinet ministers today.
5: Um, one ventures towards criticising somebody who uh, is as well familiar with the law and earns quite as much as Geoffrey Cox uh, uh, with trepidation. Uh, but I think it's only fair to report the sheer scale of the anger. Let's, let's call it for what it is, the venom out there at the top of government for Geoffrey Cox. Um, a man who was sent into battle in Brussels over the last 10 days or so looked like he messed that up mansplained to sabine Weyand, according to some accounts uh put a whole load of english legal criminal legal concepts to the european union they were rejected and uh, 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 uh and ollie robbins Theresa may's chief negotiator had to rather pick up the pieces um and then the ball came back to him when Theresa may concluded her deal on uh, monday night in strasbourg I know there were cabinet ministers running around thinking that they more or less had got a, done really quite well lining up Tory MPs to back her deal. Uh, and when the calls were going in, in seven, at 7.30, 8 o'clock this morning, one of them said uh, we'd found that many of them were on a ledge and willing to come down from it when cabinet ministers walked into, into cabinet, the cabinet meeting this morning, they had no idea what was coming next. Indeed, Theresa May had only just been handed the letter by, by Geoffrey Cox um, uh, uh, setting out his legal opinion. That letter made clear that her changes um, had no dramatic legal force on the deal that she was bringing back. It effectively said that his legal advice was broadly unchanged. It was a, It might be a bit easier to get out of the backstop, was his conclusion, but nothing tr- transformative had been agreed. This just caused apoplexy, and, and, and really a string of dominoes fell from there, Um, It quickly became clear that the ERG, most of them could never then uh, back Theresa May's deal, uh, so too the DUP, uh, and and Cox's advice weighed very heavily on uh, on people's minds. One cabinet minister, when asked why uh, Geoffrey Cox was so blunt in his legal advice, said, ''I can think of 800,000 reasons why.'' 800,000, I think, being a slightly snide reference to the rough scale of earnings by Geoffrey Cox as a prominent QC before he joined the government. Of course, his salary is a lot lower now. I suspect that Geoffrey Cox, as he said himself, he's spent 26 years uh, as as a barrister and six months in politics. I suspect he doesn't see many more months in politics
0: and might not be that unhappy to be getting back to the bar before too long. I mean, one of the really striking things, though, Sam, is that although he talked at the weekend about only having been a senior politician for a few months, he has been an MP since 2005, uh, but he just hasn't been here very much. I think um, we counted up; he's spoken in the Commons about 50 times in the last nearly 15 years. So um, some people might think, what on earth is going on with a politician who does seem to be putting the fact that he wants his legal mates to think he did the right thing, rather than his political mates, including his political boss, the Prime Minister, who is rather banking on him being more helpful?
5: Yes. I mean, one cabinet minister I spoke to today said, did we really think he had any political nails? Clearly, the answer was no. And as you allude to, I mean, we've all written stories about Geoffrey Cox and his earnings, because when you look at the Register of Members' Interests, if you looked at it over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years, he pretty much comes out as one of the top earners. And so he would regularly feature in the stories that you or I would write about um, MPs coining it um, by doing stuff outside the chamber. He always said it informed his work as a politician. He's always make quite careful to look after his local paper. Uh, as some journalists might be able to attest,
6: like.
0: <laughs> well, no, what I would say is that when I, f- I first, well, not long after he became an MP as well, I uh, first started working covering politics. Um, he was one of my local MPs when I worked on the Western Morning News. And between, I think he was probably more active between 2005 and 2010 than he was post-2010, mainly because he didn't get a big government job. But you could always be relied on to answer the phone and give you a, a sensationally good quote. Uh, about how awful the Labour government was. I mean, you know, and for free, unlike uh, all of his other, <laughs> unlike all of his other work. But also, the best thing was, if you phoned him, and he didn't answer the phone, which is very rare. Uh, you got his answer phone, which is him uh, with the sound of uh, the Big Ben bongs. Uh, recorded and so you've got bong Jeffrey Cox here, bong sorry I can't take your call <laughs> bong, but Sally's changed that now because he's a serious politician, maybe maybe you'll change it back when he goes back to being a QC again. So Esther, let's just talk very quickly about the numbers, what actually happened in the end, last time round Theresa May lost by 230 she's got it down to
6: 100... 149 so that's an improvement of 81 votes.
0: And so that's taken two months so if she's working on the basis of about 80, 80 every two months that's 40 every month yeah. so give it what another four months
6: yeah something like that which kind of takes us towards summer summer time <laughs> and um far longer than any article 50 extension that anyone envisages na- now
0: on, on this time scale we're, we're well past having to have european elections uh, to try and um, get the numbers down and what about the switches were there any we were surprised about how many were there did she because it's not that she persuaded no one to change their minds it was just not enough
6: yes that's right so there were 40 mps who switched on today's vote and the vast majority of them were tories so there were 39 Tories who switched. Uh, probably the biggest name was David Davis, former Brexit secretary who resigned over the approach to the deal. Um, he was also joined by um, some quite vocal Brexiteers like Philip Davis, Nadine Dorries will be interesting to see what they say about their reasons. Um, But in the end, it wasn't enough to bring her anywhere like as near as she needed to be.
0: She must be thinking, what the hell's going on? The guy who resigned first from her cabinet over a Brexit deal backed it. Nadine Doris, uh, very outspoken Brexiteer, with no real love for the Prime Minister or anything she does. She gets them on side. And yet there's still this stubborn bunch of, of MPs who just won't seem to move.
6: Yes, it's a it's a curious list of names, the switches. Um, and maybe something will emerge from the Philip Davis, Nadine Doris types to give us some clues over where some hope for progress lies. But at the moment, that looks like a very distant hope, given there's a potential vote on no deal tomorrow and potential implications on extending article 50 which we're hearing the EU is very unwilling to do with no prospect of a viable deal in sight.
0: So just finally then um, in a short couple of words what's going to happen Sam? People are going to speculate about her future and she's going to cling on.
4: The UK will leave the EU with Theresa May's
0: deal. There we are, bold claim. I still sort of agree with you, even though I don't know why, and there's no evidence uh, to support that. And finally, Esther.
6: Um, I think yeah, meaningful vote three is the way to go for three to me.
0: And four and five, and then by late July she'll have <laughs> she'll have uh, she'll got a whopping majority.
6: Or we'll all have died of boredom. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's
0: maybe that's just the way out. Uh Sam, Henry, Esther, thanks very much. OK, but let's wind the clock back just a little bit. Let's go back to that moment when the result was announced and hear a little bit of Theresa May's quite croaky response.
7: The eyes to the right, 242. The noes to the left, 391.
0: I profoundly regret the decision that this House has taken tonight. I continue to believe that by far the best outcome is that the United Kingdom leaves the European Union in an orderly fashion with a deal.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
8: And that the deal we've negotiated is the best and indeed the only deal available.
0: Tim
3: Shipman, political editor of the Sunday Times, is with me. Tim, it's worse than probably everyone expected? Yeah, I think this morning it felt like there may be a sort of. Tidal wave sea change. If Jeffrey Cox provided the Brexiteers with enough cover to back the Prime Minister, people were talking about a ladder. Well, what Jeffrey Cox did this morning was to take the ladder, smash it into bits, and chuck it on the bonfire. And uh, consequently, most of the Brexiteers have uh, held the line, voted against the deal, and the PM has lost heroically this time by just 149. But no, it's about as bad as it could be. Uh, you know, whilst showing some progress. Um, but it's quite hard to see now what this Prime Minister does next, really. Um, we're going to have future votes. That the House of Commons looks like it will attempt to assert control. And then the only question is, do the Brexiteers let that happen, or do they try and blow the whole thing up and force a general election? And given her, her sort of dual threats that she's been trying to warn of, of either no deal or no Brexit, which one of those looks more likely now? Uh, I think uh, they're both possible. Um, I mean, the Brexiteers will tell you that by law there is currently, um, you know, legally we do leave on the 29th of March. What the Prime Minister has just said is that the motion that we'll be voting on tomorrow... um, effectively says uh, that if we rule out no deal the government will accept that as government policy which is a significant uh, moment not least because she then said that there will be a free vote and that will lead to further bloodshed in the Tory party where the Brexiteers will think that that is a sop to all those 20 odd uh, Remainer ministers who've been threatening to resign unless they get the chance to rule out no deal. And it's pretty extraordinary that we know that Theresa May thinks no deal is a bad idea.
0: We know that a big chunk of the Cabinet basically think no deal is a bad idea. Some of them want to keep it on the table as a, as a negotiating tactic. But as a result, she's going to allow a free vote on this massive decision of whether or not the country leaves the EU without a deal.
3: And then we'll just abide by the result, whether or not she thinks it's a good idea. Well, I think she's reaching the point where um, trying to get this House of Commons to do anything uh, is proving to be almost impossible. Almost sort of saying we don't have a position is an acknowledgement of political reality at the moment. This is a government that is split down the middle and a parliamentary Conservative Party that's split down the middle, uh, and acknowledging that they don't agree with each other uh, is probably uh, the closest thing we've had to uh, political common sense for a little while. <laughs> at least it's a policy everyone could agree on. Finally, in terms of the potential options of where this might go, general election, second referendum, Theresa May resigns, which is, which is going to come first? well I think Theresa May resigning is now erasing certainty but before the summer uh, the only question is whether one of those other things comes first it's quite hard to see why anyone in the Conservative Party would want to force a general election with her still as leader of it um, if we have a referendum it's because it's been forced on Theresa May and on the Conservative Party uh, it still doesn't look to me like there are the numbers for that so I think the two most likely outcomes are still a leadership contest or some kind of uh, renewed effort to do a deal with Brussels um, uh, admittedly with very little leverage or a general election I think you are a betting man where do you think we will eventually end up uh, in chaos <laughs> <laughs> And I say that with a hundred percent certainty I ran into someone involved in no deal planning earlier who swore blind to me that he was stockpiling bottled water this is where we're at oh good but well, on that cherry note Tim Shipman thank you very much
0: to manage to call times sketch writer Continue. you've sat through probably more
7: of the misery
0: in the House of Commons
7: than anyone else today. <laughs> Too much. I was there for hours. And it was agony, uh, not just because of Mrs May's voice, which was uh, non-existent. We had the croak terribly. Uh, the croak was back. But there was a moment when I was sitting right next to Philip May, and when Mrs May came into the chamber, she looked up, saw Philip, and there was a very sad look in her eyes and a sort of look yeah. that was saying, oh, we've tried our best and we failed. So I think she knew from the start that she was doomed today. What about the rest of the sort of speeches? Was there any great moments of oratory or, or otherwise? <laughs> no. Well, there were one or two. I mean, Anna Subri gave one of her belters yeah. and Geoffrey um, uh, Cox earlier was his normal self. But, you know, we've been over this ground more times than Dobbins going around a country point to point. And uh, there are very few novelties. Uh, there was a last moment when Jacob Rees-Mogg right at the end proposed, asked some question and the, uh, the Brexit secretary, Stephen Barclay, seemed to uh, produce a, a sort of mini-rabbit out of the hat but it didn't do any good in the eventual uh, vote. I don't know, I think it's, just, it's, it's all just grinding to the inevitability, I think, of Mrs May will eventually get her deal because there'll be no alternative.
0: And uh, you're Brexiteer. What would you be doing if you were a Tory MP?
7: I would have been torn today. I think I might have voted uh, for Mrs Mayles, dear, because I might have been worried that Brexit wasn't going to happen. But actually, I just don't think the political class really... Could stop Brexit. I think it would just, I think there would be a revolution. And finally, were you there for Steve Double? I MP? was there for <laughs> Steve Double. Uh, I was, uh, I mean, I've been there for just about all of them. And uh, Steve Double said, yeah, with 20 minutes to go, he still hadn't made up his mind. And I think that was, is that what you're referring
0: to? Yeah, yeah, but then he, he had a particular turn of phrase. It's a,
7: it's a turd, it's a polished turd, uh, uh, yeah, exactly, but it might yes. be the best turd we've got. I had extinguished that, I, I'd taken, <laughs> removed that from my mind. Um, well, that's one way of putting it. Is, <laughs> Cornwall speaks. <laughs> and the rest of the country seems to have listened, or certainly the, but well, the majority think, of the Commons. I mean, one or two people said, uh, come on, you know, um, people just had enough, and I think Parliament's had enough. It wasn't very really full today,
0: you'd have thought. Really, I mean, the, for Theresa May's statement, though, it was probably about half full.
7: Yes. And people just uh, the Brexit fatigue has set in, and that is at least one way in which the Commons is in tune with the country. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at the press gallery, members of the lobby. Yeah, we've <laughs> all had enough as well. Oh, Go on, I'm going home for a beer. Quentin, let's say <laughs> so much.
0: Okay, in a moment, I'm going to wander down to central lobby where all the MPs uh, hang out after big events like this. Hopefully, one of them, who knows, might have a clue. What is going on a quick reminder that if you want to come and see the podcast being recorded live join us on sunday april the 6th at the new festival podcast live just go to podcastlive.com and use the promo code times 19 to get 10 percent off your tickets and we look forward to seeing you there we'll be back after this short break
2: it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up
0: podcast. I'm Matt Jolly. Now MPs as they come out of the House of Commons chamber can walk directly to central lobby. It's it's, this octagonal meeting hall which you often see on TV when MPs are being interviewed in the heart of the Houses of Parliament. It's quite a good place to catch those who want to chat on a night like this. So let's see who's around and let's see if any of them know what's going to happen. So I'm joined now by uh, Sammy Wilson, DUP MP. I mean you voted against the deal. What happens now?
1: Well first of all we did it without any joy. We didn't want to be in a different lobby from the Prime Minister. Um, We would have much preferred that we would have had a deal that we could have voted through tonight but unfortunately um, the Prime Minister was not able to deliver the assurances which were required and assurances which on very important issues. Do you think it's possible that that just
0: isn't deliverable? That actually within the parameters and the red lines of being outside the customs union, but not having a hard border in Northern Ireland, and all of the, all of the things that she's tried to square at once—is it possible that, that that what everyone is asking for just isn't possible?
1: I believe it's eminently possible. So what what
0: what? Why is it that not happening? Because it's not through well, for all of her faults. She has kept plugging away and kept trying to get what. everybody wants.
1: I I think that first of all because mistakes were made at the very beginning of these negotiations where all of the strong levers that we would have had in negotiations were meekly handed over to the EU. Things could be addressed in a proper free trade arrangement. Um, But But that could still happen. You could vote through the deal. Uh, You could vote through Theresa May's deal
0: concentrate on the next phase, get a proper trade agreement, we never end up in the backstop, then everybody's happy?
1: Well, that's just the point. The EU had made it quite clear how it intended to use the withdrawal agreement. First of all, it it was arguing that the withdrawal agreement would be the basis uh, of any future trade arrangement and the withdrawal agreement of course already tied the United Kingdom into a customs type arrangement and into regulatory alignment with the EU and the EU made it quite clear that that would be the building block on which they would base any future uh, trade arrangement and um, if we had an agreement which was impossible for the UK government to say this is not working. Uh, we want to walk away from, the EU had also tied that up and said, no you can't, you can only get out of it if we agree to it. So we were going to be held to hostage and that's why this agreement had to be voted down because otherwise we would have been ensuring that when it came to the next round of negotiations, the EU would have had the same advantage as it has had in this round.
0: So what happens now then, because one more heave probably isn't going to do it so we've got a vote now on taking no deal off the table how are you in the dup vote on no deal
1: well we will vote against taking no deal off the table because what little leverage we have would be removed if we did that in effect i suppose that's been removed from the table a long time ago when she conceded at the uh, two or three weeks ago that she would not pursue a no deal option anyway so uh, to a certain extent it, it doesn't change the situation very much um, other than we would have a formal vote in the House of Commons But on a no,
0: no deal in reality opinion. would be bad for Northern Ireland, wouldn't it?
1: No, it wouldn't uh, No deal for Northern Ireland would be uh, far, far less damaging than this withdrawal agreement because this withdrawal agreement first of all cuts us off from our main market it puts a barrier down the REC it makes trade difficult with GB where we sell 60% of our exports.
0: Did you get the impression even speaking to MPs they've got their local parties their local constituents saying just get on with it I'm absolutely sick of it why can't you lot sort yourselves out um, you know the DUP got their billion quids right back at the beginning when she, Theresa May, needed a majority. Why why not just vote it through, get this thing
1: over with? Isn't there part of you that just wants to move on? Well, I mean, first of all, we have uh, honoured our agreement with the government as far as the uh, money was concerned. That that money was given to us for particular uh, problems, economic problems, that Northern Ireland was facing because of the the legacy of the Troubles. Um, In return, We were to support the government in its domestic legislation. And don't forget the government, 20% of the government's domestic legislation would never have gone through without our support. Uh, You've you've
0: honoured all the little bits, but on the big one, the big one you're holding out.
1: Well, and we were certainly not going to sell out Northern Ireland for the money which the government had given. And in effect, had we supported this agreement, I don't think anyone would have thanked us. For saying, well, they give us a billion quid, so I had to vote for it, even though it damaged the the, the country, and that's the reason why, um, reluctantly, we voted against the government tonight.
0: So joined now by uh, Labour MP uh, Lisa Nandy, MP for Wigan. Always seen as like the one of the ones the Tory government were holding out for? You were the one who's going to be won over by loads of money and promises right. and stuff. Did it work?
9: It, it, I was seen by that as you was a well. No, I, my issue has always been frankly, what happens next after we vote through the withdrawal agreement and start looking at our future trading relationship. I've got loads of food manufacturing jobs in Wigan. If we don't protect those through a customs union and access to the single market, then none of this is going to really help me. So that's always been my issue. Not heard anything from the Prime Minister at all that would help to support those jobs in Wigan, so I had to vote against the deal tonight. But I have to say, having stood in that chamber today, having listened to my constituents, none of us are covering ourselves in glory.
0: What does it feel like when you're sitting in the chamber there? And, you you know, everybody sort of assumed by the time the result came that she was going to lose, but still the number... It's, it's worse when you hear the, the, the numbers and sort of realise there doesn't seem to be any way out of this mess.
9: Well, it's horrendous. I mean, what, what was going through my mind when that vote was announced was I had a mum on the phone to me just now whose child is potentially in line for some gene therapy treatment in the European Union, but may lose access to that because we don't know whether we're leaving with no deal in a couple of weeks' time. And she'd phoned me up this afternoon and was... Really emotional on the phone, understandably, and um, I didn't know. You know, I don't have answers for her. And I've been walking around the lobby corridors this evening, trying to get hold of government ministers who can give me some answers. We haven't got any answers, and you've got a House of Commons that is fundamentally unable to agree on a course of action, and is making a no deal prospect more likely. So it's not a good day for us.
0: And just funny, when you look across it, Theresa moment I mean, it's particularly bad. She's got a, a bad coughs back. What do you feel? Do you feel sorry for her? Do you, are you, angry? What, what? How do you feel towards her?
9: I'm really angry, but I'm trying to contain the anger because we need to, you know, have some cool heads and, you know, less uh, heat and more light and try and work our way through this. But I am really angry. I mean, I can't. Quite believe that we've got to a situation in Britain where we've got two weeks to go and I've got families ringing me up saying, well, we have access to medication and to uh, medical treatment and I can't give them a straight answer because the government can't give them a straight answer. I mean, what sort of government cannot guarantee access to medicines for its citizens? Like, the fact that this has happened to Britain in such a short space of time is really astonishing. I, I completely understand that the Prime Minister is sincere about trying to move us forwards and trying to find a way through this, but the problem all along has been that she hasn't been prepared to be honest about what is coming next, and that is the reason that MPs like me can't vote for this thing tonight, and the reason that we're still in this horrible state of uncertainty.
0: I'm joined now by um, Johnny Mercer, Tory MP. I suppose I should start by asking you how
8: you voted. Uh, I voted with the government tonight. And did you do that with a song in your heart and a skip in your step? (laughs) No, of course not. I mean... Uh, we're in a very, uh, we're in a very tough spot, and uh, I voted for it because I think the other options are worse. Um, and I think we're about to see that now, with uh, you know No Deal being sort of taken off the table tomorrow. Um, we lose uh, the ability to actually get something. I think we should have seen this through to the end, as we promised the British people we should. I think when any government starts getting affected by events rather than actually directing events, I think you're in a pretty tough spot. How do you think Theresa May's handled this? Look, I'm not going to get into that, but I, I think changing—it's <laughs> well, changing, not like you. It's yeah, not like you to, yeah, yeah. to this. Uh, is a your serious tongue. moment, and, and changing prime minister or leader is is totally counterproductive. They're, they're two different issues. You know, she is a leader. I expect leaders to lead, um, and you know, and I expect that to happen in the days ahead. What's your gut hunch of where we end up? Because we've got these votes, and you know, we assume that Parliament will take uh, node off the table. It might then vote that it doesn't want an extension. Where, where do we end up? I think tomorrow Parliament will vote to take no deal off the table. I can't see any other real outcome now apart from an extension to Article 50 and we will not have delivered on the promise to get Britain out of the European Union by March 29th. Governments that don't live up to their manifestos uh, on such major issues worry me um, a lot. I'm joined now by uh, Tim
0: Fowen, former uh, Lib Dem leader. And you, you go way back. You and Theresa May, don't you? you s- uh, it was the '92 general election 92, um, wow. when uh, John Major won against all the odds, and Theresa May and I got annihilated by Hillary Armstrong in northwest Durham. It's just I got a bit more annihilated than she did. And did you look back then and think, yeah, she's, she's, she's really good. She's definitely going to be the one to lead the country uh, through a great moment of political crisis. I didn't think she was awful um, but I, I, and, and it didn't surprise me when she entered Parliament the time after, uh, nor that she became a senior player in the Tory party. So I actually quite like her and admire her. But there is a point where absolute, total and utter stubbornness becomes a weakness and not a strength. Uh, it seems to me, and I, I, mean, I you, you know, for two and a half years I've been saying that the final deal should be put back to the people. Uh, here's my a proposition. I think Theresa May has got at best a one percent chance of getting this deal past Parliament. I reckon she's got a fifty percent chance of getting it past the people. So I've tracked down Emily Thornby, the Shadow um, Foreign Secretary. Uh, what what the hell's going on?
10: I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? And oh, we've got this, we've got this dead horse of Theresa May's deal. She's been flogging it for four months. It's dead. She. She lost by 280. It's a bit better tonight. She lost by a mere 149. She's never going to get it through Parliament. And yet she, there is no plan B. She has no alternative. She's just saying, well, we'll have a vote on on whether we should have no deal tomorrow. But, you know, even if we vote for not, not to have no deal, it's still the only way of making sure that we don't have no deal is to have my deal. And that's it. I don't know how much longer she's going to carry on, staggering on like this. I don't know how much longer this government is going to stagger on like this. You know, but we're getting nowhere and we've run out of road.
0: What's your worst fear about how this all plays out, given the total mess?
10: I think there's lots of things I worry about. I worry about the fact that people are forgetting the country and all of this. I think they're forgetting the importance of having a having you know moving on in a way that looks after the economy and jobs. I think that is the most important thing because I think those who are who've only just got their heads above water are the ones who are going to be affected most by either a bad deal or no deal. And that worries me. I think people forget that. I think also the other long-term effect may be a undermining of trust in politics that we don't seem to be able to to be able to agree a, to agree anything
0: is that something that you hear from normal people
10: yeah no no of course people are fed up of course people are fed up but you know it is really hard when you have a Prime Minister that will not listen she will not listen and it's not leadership to go marching up a hill all by yourself and saying you know I'm the leader, we're going this way, and nobody goes with you. You have to have people go with you. That's how it works. And if they won't go with you that way, then you tack a bit and you go the way and you listen to what people say and then you go off the way that, you know, people with your leadership... You know will agree to to going that's how you do it
0: the problem is that, that not everyone is going up the hill with your leader either i mean you've, you've literally had some go off and pursue a smaller hill on their own but um <laughs> the labour party's split and can't really make a smaller about either
10: so this is not i mean so yes we've put our deal forward to parliament and we've had a vote on it and we got it defeated but and i know it didn't get through But actually, I don't know what the figure was. But we actually got our deal defeated by a lot less than she's ever got. So you know, so far, not the best of three. All I'm saying is that if the I mean, since the Tories now seem to be giving up on whipping people at all, you know, tomorrow we don't have a whip at all, do or they don't have a whip at all. So maybe they could kind of continue that. And when we put our deal back, maybe if she doesn't whip it at all, actually our deal could win the day, and that would be best.
0: What a mess. What a mess. What so what mess. do you think, how do you think it all, where do we end up? What is the ultimate destination?
10: I don't know, mate. I really don't know. I mean, and if anybody in this place tells you they know what is going to happen, they're lying because we don't know. Not even, I mean, Theresa May definitely doesn't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, none of us. I mean, it's, and that's scary. It's terrible. It's terrible to be in this place.
0: It really is. Emily Thorby, thanks so much. So there we have it. Nobody knows what is going on. Or what's going to happen next? There's going to be more votes, of course, but where do they lead? Nobody can really predict. For me, it still feels like Theresa May could yet get her deal through. I know the maths suggests otherwise, and it doesn't seem very likely, but all the other options seem, at this stage, ever so slightly less likely than that. It's a horrible cliche, but we'll just have to wait and see. Only time will tell. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future panicked emergency episodes like this one and sign up to my morning email briefing go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly in the House of the Parliament, it's goodbye.
2: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.